Hi, this is Braden Holpe. Hey, this is Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer. Hi, this is Brian Burke from Toronto, Ontario. This is Daryl Sutter. Hello, everyone. I'm Carly Agro from Sportsnet Central. This is Jay Onright. This is Quick Dick Quick Dick coming to you from Tufnell, Saskatchewan. Hey, everybody. My name is Theo Fleury. This is Kelly Rudy. This is Corey Cross. This is Wade Redden. This is Jordan Tutu. My name is Jim Patterson. Hey, it's Ron McLean, Hockey Net in Canada and Rogers Hometown Hockey, and welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Okay, you ready? Well, welcome to Sunday morning. We're sitting at the coffee table. I got the kids around me. Uh, my lovely wife, Melissa, is sleeping, and uh, we got a special episode today. I, I got to sit down with my mother and your grandmother uh, to hear a bit about her story. Um, it's Mother's Day, and I think Mother's Day is a pretty special day uh, for all the ladies around the world, um, because without them, none of us are here, right? Uh-huh. Now, what would you like to say to mom? Or to Grandma. I love you, Mommy. <laughs> Mila, do you want to say anything? Uh-huh. What do you want to say? I love Grandma. Yeah, you love Grandma? How about uh-huh. Bubba? I love Bubba. <laughs> I love Bubba. Case? Oh, you're being shy of the mic? Uh-huh. Say hello. Hello. Can you say hi? Hello. Can you say hi? Okay, so he's not going to say anything, but uh, I don't think this episode needs needs much much introduction. Um, one of the things I want to do with the podcast here that I I kind of chickened out on last year was Mother's Day and Father's Day to interview my parents. Uh, obviously, without them, I wouldn't be where I'm at, and they've done a lot for me. So, <laughs> as the kids are fighting over the computer. Uh, Thanks to all the ladies out there, specifically the ones who've impacted my life. And uh, I hope you guys have a great day and uh, happy Mother's Day. Okay, it's May, May 7th. I'm sitting with my uh, lovely mother, Mrs. Elaine Newman. So uh, first off, thanks for joining me on Mother's Day, Mother's Day weekend, I guess. So happy Mother's Day um, before we start. Well, thank you very much. Um, now I'll try and keep, uh, <laughs> I'll try and keep the profanity to uh, a zero for this for you. So you don't have to, uh, scold me in the middle of it. That would be wonderful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I don't know, mom. Um, this is kind of like, um, I plan on doing dad on father's day too. So this is kind of like, Anyone I've followed in radio or media that uh, has lost a parent always talks about anytime you get the opportunity to sit with your parents, you should, and you should record as much as you can and try and gain as much knowledge and everything about their life as humanly possible because, as we all know, when you're gone, it's lost forever, so to speak. So um, I I just want to start at the beginning and and we'll see where we get to tonight and and just, you know, I, I got some questions rolling in my brain, but I think... Uh, I'm going to keep it in line with what I do with the archive interviews and, and start maybe early back in your childhood and, and we'll see where it goes. Okay. Uh, I think it's a good thing to uh, talk to parents um, about their childhood and younger days because uh, we did that as a family with your grandparents. and You mean we- you used to talk to gr- your grandfather? No, well, I was fairly young when he passed away, 
So, um, but as far as my parents went, right? And then you've got that knowledge for when they do pass away sooner or later, right? So what was one of the things about your parents that surprised you or um, you were amazed by uh, that you think all of us should know about? Um, well, I don't know. Like, um, my dad grew up um, north of Hillmond going to school in the Albion District. And at that time, um, school... Um, was basically finished in the one-room schoolhouse at grade 8, depending on, I guess, what school you went to. But generally, the one-room schoolhouses just went to grade 8. And so unless um, they went on to uh, Lloyd Minster, North Battleford, uh, somewhere like that, then basically they just started working, huh? Um, on the farm in our case and uh, my mom she only went to grade six and stayed home uh, to help at home and so she was basically she would get lots of magazines um, but she never read um, and that was the same with uh, your Newman grandparents, huh? Like uh, Grandpa Newman only went to grade six. So in that generation, there was um, there was farm kids that were basically illiterate because so was, they only went to grade six. Was your mom illiterate then? Well, she could read and write, but she didn't do a lot of it. Makes you understand then why they pressed for everybody to get their education. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, you know, that's part of the, you know, as far as Hillmon, the central school um, was built in the early 60s, late 50s. And so then it went to grade 12. And so kids didn't have to move to Lloydminster or um, North Battleford, which was the case with my dad's sister. Um, she took her high school in North Battleford. So, you know, uh, that way everybody could stay at home and get their high school, and uh, which was way more important in those days than what it is now because everybody's, you know, going to college and uni university. And, and in the last few years, even, there's been um, more of a drive to get your master's degree or your, you know... Um, but back in those days, in the 20s or whatever, you know, it was go to work on the farm type of thing or go to work somewhere else if you lived in town. So what was growing up having two parents then that had little education? Like, did they want, did grandma and grandpa want you to keep pursuing education? Were they, were they tough on that? Or no. Um, I mean, uh, my brothers and sisters, uh, sister went to, um, Albion, which was a one-room schoolhouse, and then they switched to Hillmond, um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I graduated, and, you know, the thing is, a, a person thinks back, and you think, 
how uh, because they didn't because they didn't graduate and go on to university that somehow they weren't as smart or you know they they but really it was just a case that they didn't have the education and so a lot of them went on to be very successful farmers or very successful in what they chose to do but they didn't have you know the university degrees or anything like that well and we both know some of the smartest people you meet don't need the university title behind them to be um, world smart or uh, you know be able to fix things build things like some people just pick that up and lots of learning is done with uh, hands-on experience yeah and and not to say that um, like in this day and age um, it's great to be able to go to university or college and get your degree or get your master's or your doctorate or whatever you choose to do. It's just in the farming communities in those days, it just wasn't there, that's all. So what, when you go back to your childhood then, what's, what's some of the fond memories or maybe first memories you have of growing up on the farm? Um... Oh, I don't know. It was a very uh, happy childhood, I would say, like uh, farm life, um, uh, because both your parents were always at home. Um, uh, we were surrounded by um, cattle, horses, dog, cats, pigs. Uh, so there was always, uh, you know, we used to ride horseback lots and well, my brothers and sister rode to school on horseback, right? So, um, um, but that was kind of our life. And uh, most of the neighbors had cattle and horses and that kind of thing too, or a good portion of them did. And so, um, yeah, that was one of my fond memories, I guess, was just riding horses. And Do you look at us yahoos these days with... Uh both parents working full-time and putting kids in day homes and everything else as you know I just think of Grandma Newman she would probably say something along the lines of you ruddy fools do you look at us and go what are you doing one of you should be at home full-time um not necessarily I guess um I was uh working um at the CIBC and the Treasury branch, um, uh, when I got married, uh, after I got out of school, and um, and so uh, your grandma Newman, her words to me, well, she wasn't going to look after kids while I went and worked, and so it was either you stayed home and looked after your kids, or else you didn't um, have any, I guess. And uh, so at the time, I was kind of miffed by that because I thought that I would just carry on working, but that wasn't the way it was supposed to be, I guess. And, um, but I mean, you know, all things work together for good, right? And, uh, you know, after five kids and <laughs> <laughs> numerous ball games, hockey games, church, uh, 4-H, um, figure skating, um, you know, um, if I would have been working, 
chances are all that stuff wouldn't have happened, you know. So I think um, as a family, we enjoyed those times together, although it got to be a little little crazy at times, I guess you would say, you know, with sports going everywhere. You know, people today, like as we speak today, often question me on how I find the time to sit and talk to people, work full time, uh, wife, kids, everything, right? Uh, and now I'm planning this bike to Tufnell and everything else. But when I talk to people, I go, well, can you imagine being uh, a mother of five boy, uh, five kids, four boys and a girl, being at home lots of the times by yourself while your husband's out working and, and getting to everybody playing competitive hockey, a daughter com- competing in competitive figure skating all over the country. How did you, uh, at, how did you and dad pull that off? Well, um, we were farming for the first, um, few years, actually quite a few years, really, when you think about it, um, because he was helping coach Jason, uh, ball team, hockey team, that kind of thing. And, um, then the younger ones whom you happen to be one, well, then, uh, you had to put up with your mother taking you to a lot of hockey games, a lot of ball games, because he was always busy with, uh, the older kids, right? Jason and Dustin. So, um, once he started driving truck full time, well, then it was a little bit more, um, I had to pull up my socks a little bit and do a little bit more of that kind of thing. But, you know, the grandparents were there and they, um, thoroughly enjoyed the hockey and ball as well. So we didn't feel too bad, um, if they had to take, you know, um, somebody to a ball game or a hockey game they were more than happy to do that so without them I'm I'm sure we wouldn't have been able to manage <laughs> was that a stressful time of life you know when you look back over your years having dad gone all those you know when he was long haul trucking he was gone for good periods of time that can't be easy on well, I just I just sit where I am, and I imagine myself away from Mel or vice versa, and I just can't imagine that being an easy time on anyone. Um, no, but by the time he went driving, um, uh, Jason was finished school, I believe. Uh, it was the year that he graduated, or right after that, that... Um, uh, he started driving, and uh, so Jackie and Dustin were both um, high school age and probably driving themselves. And so, um, I mean, it was a, definitely a, a busy time, um, you know, with him gone all the time I um, and trying to take Harley and you to all your ball games meeting myself driving on the road the opposite direction almost but uh, I mean you made lots of friends and that was your social life and um, and you know it was like one big family really and so uh, it was all good and and um, uh, I got to enforce my will a few times and make sure you were 
playing to the best of your ability. So. Well, I always I always <laughs> joke sometimes that uh, uh, you'd be one hell of a hockey coach, and I know you don't like me say, there. I'm getting I'm getting away with one, folks. But no, you're not. <laughs> I think you'd be one heck of a hockey coach because you watched enough between all the boys and the the nights of hockey night in Canada and everything else. I feel like you probably could have hopped behind the bench and, and showed us a thing or two. You were certainly opinionated enough, at least. Yes, I, w- I was opinionated enough because I'd watched uh, enough games with four boys playing hockey. And, uh, and uh, so I, I voiced my opinion several times, pr- quite frequently, I guess, maybe more frequently than what was desired. Um, but anyway, I mean... You used to drive me nuts, yeah. <laughs> you used to sleep all the way to the, the games. Maybe that was partly to avoid my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you just have to relax before a game, Mom. Yes, yeah, that was your pregame nap, yes. That's right, yes. until I started driving, and then, and then it changed. Well, that's true, yes. I've often wondered, you know, I'm, I'm hopping around here, but it's my show and it's my interview, so so be it. But uh, the year, my first year in Ontario when I played, Larry Wintoniak put up on a, war, a, a, a board at the end for the awards banquet. He had numbers, and they went uh, something along the lines of, you know, 400 and some, that was many goals we scored, and then it, it just kept going on, and 1,800, that's how many penalty minutes we had. And the last number, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And the last number was 20,000-some-odd something. And he went, how many kilometers Newman's mom drove to watch him play? Like, you just didn't want to miss a game? Well, I think I missed a few games to start with, and then you got hit in the face and the mouth and got your teeth knocked out, and and uh, I came to visit you, and I remember going to Timmy's and you having to drink something or other through a straw because you couldn't open your mouth, and I thought, maybe I should be coming to a few more games. So... You thought uh, the Lord was on your side when you were there? <laughs> Don't you remember no, the time well, you, you flew to Thunder Bay and I fought twice in, in two consecutive games and you hopped on a plane and went home? Yeah, well, um, I think your father was away driving truck at the time. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, he had driven for a couple of years to... Toronto, Montreal, um, Hamilton, and I had gone with him a couple of times, and uh, it was always an interesting area of Canada, was northern Ontario, where um, Kenora and through all the shield there and the rocks and the lakes, very pretty place. And I just thought, man, you know, like if he can drive all the way to Toronto and Montreal and stuff, I can certainly come watch a few hockey games. So that's what I did. And I was just, uh, I don't know, I guess I was just afraid a little bit of uh, the fact that you were playing junior hockey against a lot of really big (laughs) six foot four guys and fighting. Getting your teeth knocked out and... Uh... Not from the fighting, from pucks. From <laughs> well, pucks, folks. Well, yes, and I wasn't there at that game, was I? No, no, you no, no, I wasn't. So there you go. Was it hard to have it, you know, um, 
I guess Jay's got to this stage, but the, the rest of your kids certainly have not yet. Jackie's getting close. But the to have their kids to have your kids, you know, step out of the nest, so to speak, and and uh, go out on their own was that tough on you? Did you ever stop worrying about us? Do you have you stopped worrying about us? I I think the most difficult time in some ways was when you first got your driver's license. Um, I think because you were still under under the roof and so you were always waiting for um for you to get home and to be safe and sound whereas once you're gone from the nest you've been driving for a few years you're um a little bit more ready for that but i don't know for me anyway i think it was when you got first got your driver's license and and because uh, we had the odd time where um, once in particular where I had a dream or something or other and I heard glass breaking and uh, it just kind of woke me up with a start and I went back to sleep and about an hour later I got a phone call from the RCMP saying that Jackie was at the police station and that she had been second on the scene at an accident just north of Lloyd where a young man was killed. And um, I never went back to sleep that night and she didn't get home until uh, about four o'clock in the morning, I think. Um, but there's always those times, I think, when your teenage children are living under your roof and yes, they're mature enough to drive, but um, sometimes you question if, you know, it always comes into play who you've got in the passenger seat with you or the friends you're traveling with and is everybody going to travel safely home, I guess, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I think you speak a lot of parents' fears. Um, driving is definitely, uh, a big one we all face on a daily basis. There's, you know, that's, it's become a thing that we believe is safe, but we're, we're just kind of immune to like the real danger that goes at driving a hundred or 110 or 120. And, uh, you know, living here in this part of Canada for eight months of the year, it isn't exactly the safest thing. Um, you know, one of the things as a young parent myself that I I don't know what to do for my kids. I, I you, you know, like teach them, um, try and get them active, etc. But did you ever worry about uh, drinking, drugs, just, I don't know, falling in with the wrong crew or um, I don't know how to keep your kids out of going down a, a very dark path, so to speak. Well, I think that's why we had you so involved in hockey and ball and um, all of you and figure skating and um, um, Jackie played piano as well and um, volleyball a bit. And um, But uh, for myself, um, I thought it was the better 
um, the better of two evils. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but, and then um, we did. Uh, what do you mean? The, what do you mean the better of two evils? You mean by keeping us busy, or or? Well, yeah, like um, I mean for Jason, uh, he played hockey all winter and he wouldn't get finished playing hockey when ball started and by the time ball was finished he was back skating in power skating and getting ready for hockey again so um i mean we did take holidays in um in that time but a lot of our holidays were in with hockey and ball as well but um yeah it, for us, or for me in particular, I just thought that, um, you know, to be busy playing hockey, busy playing ball, you knew the, the kids, you knew the group, you knew the parents. There was curfews, um, which uh, I'm hearing that not, uh, not all children followed all the time. <laughs> you can't fault us for being creative, Mom. <laughs> But, um, you know, so, you're, you're, and, you're, and we you're, did go to church on Sunday or we tried to, right? Your, your kids will call me the golden child because I got away with a few things, but I just like to think I was creative. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Which I never found out about until you got married. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> um, no. So, yeah, I, I think, um, as I say, I mean, hockey and ball became our social life and we, had, uh, you know, we went to church on Sundays as well, so, um, and tried to lead you, I guess, or teach you um, the Bible and um, the moral, the moral etiquette that the Bible teaches. I mean, if you want a book of life for living, uh, you read scripture and it, you know, I mean, even the Ten Commandments tell you uh, what you should and shouldn't be doing pretty much, right? And uh, so, um, but yeah, it was like a case of if you were playing good hockey and good ball, you knew, um, you knew the parents, you knew the kids, and everybody was after the same result that sure that you win and play your best uh, which is a lesson for life in itself because as you um, move forward in your adult life what you want to do is work to your best ability and do a good job and I think uh, sports teaches that a certain amount as well as church, or I guess I shouldn't have put it in that order, right? But, um, and it gives less opportunity for partying and hanging out at the mall and um, getting into drugs or stuff like that that you don't really want to go down that path, right? With religion, the Bible... Were were you brought up reading the Bible? Was that something that your parents instilled in you? Did they take you to church? Was that like a big part of your family? Or is that something you found at a different time in life? Um, we were raised in an Anglican family. Um, 
Now, if you go to my grandparents, my, my granddad on my dad's side, my paternal grandfather, um, was raised in a very strict Anglican family in England, and he went to boarding school at the church uh, in Canterbury. And uh, from the time he was first started school until he finished, uh, which is maybe why he left and came to Canada <laughs> and became a homesteader. I, I don't know, you know. Uh, it would be lovely to ask him, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be, you know, because, uh, uh, yeah. And so he didn't live at home. He lived uh, in, you know, he boarded at the school, and uh, and that was his uh, his life. And then when he finished school, he came to Canada early 1900s and worked out in BC for a while and met um, three other guys and they took out homesteads together in uh, uh, in the area where my brothers live now, right? And um, all the rest of of the, his the three friends that homesteaded together, they all sold him their land and left. You know, like a, quite a change for somebody from the south coast of England to come over here and homestead, you know, in the winter time with 40 below. Uh, mind you, he did leave and work in BC for some of those years. And, um, but, and, and he was raised in a family that was, um, uh, his dad was a lawyer, and his grandfather was a lawyer, and he had a brother or two that were lawyers. And so, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, it was a different <laughs> lifestyle that he came to. But, I mean, you know, I guess that was his calling in life to do that because he uh, stayed at it and raised a family on the homestead to end up with my my dad was born in cranbrook uh bc and that's where he was uh you know my grandfather was working at the time and uh and now you know um well they when i was growing up they had four quarters of land which was just sufficient to kind of get by on really and uh, now my brothers have uh, expanded greatly and uh you know they have uh, a lot of cattle and and uh, the farm um ranch has stayed in the family so i mean uh everybody has a different calling i think in life right and and obviously for him to leave and not quit farming and go back to england or whatever it must have been just in his blood that he found it intriguing or something did you find your calling in life? Well, I mean, um, well, to get back to the the religion, the church. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, we didn't, we went to church, I don't know how, like, how often we went to church. We went to St. Michael's Church, which was a little Anglican church in Green Street when I was a kid. And um, and I, I heard the Lord speak to me in a service there when I was a child. 
I don't know how old I would have been, five or six or four, I don't know. And I felt him tell me that he wanted me to be a witness for him. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy because here I am out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and even at a young age, I knew that we were out in the middle of nowhere. So how would I ever be a witness for the Lord? But anyway, so um, somewhere in the meanwhile time, um, we didn't go to church as much. My brothers were teenagers and whatever. I don't know. But anyway, so um, I always felt, felt that was my calling in life. And so I, uh, yeah, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was 12 with my Gideon New Testament and and, uh, but, you know, I went, uh, in my teenage years, I went off on some, um, not exactly church paths, you know, like I, I didn't follow the Lord too closely during those years, but I wasn't going to church. I didn't have the, the fellowship, I guess. And then, uh. I gotta ask, Mom. What what is what does it mean to you at twelve when you weren't following the paths? What what are you, what are you talking about? Were you throwing well, no, in teenage in my teenage you years? Teen because, because I was smoking and drinking and doing all the things that you did. I just do. hear Mother Newman smoked. I did from the time I was thirteen. At thirteen, you had a cigarette, and I smoked up until I was about seventeen, eighteen. And then I started dating your father, and he had had enough of that because he didn't smoke. So that was the end of that. Dad got you to stop smoking. Yeah. In fairness to you, smoking back then was a little, I mean, smoking still happens quite a bit now, but like um, coming off the war years and everything like that, smoking was a pretty prevalent thing. I remember Grandpa Stringer smoking the pipe all the time. That's one of my fondest and memories. And he smoked cigarettes too. I can't. It wasn't just after World War II. Like um, my grandfather smoked the uh, pipe all the time that I could remember. And uh, I think dad said that he started smoking when he was 16, right? So you, he was born in 1913. So you add 16 onto that. You know, you're looking at the 20s, right? And, like, if you watch um, movies that are made about the night roaring 20s or anything yep. like that, all the women are smoking. Everybody and smoked. The, everybody smoked. And it was like that all the way through, really, when, um, oh, probably in the 60s, um, you know, you played with the Hillmond Hitman in hockey, right? Well, the Hillmond All-Stars were the team back when I was uh, a kid, a teenager, that kind of thing. And, I mean, the rink was filled with smoke. You'd sit down uh, at the edge. <laughs> like, you'd sit down in the concession area, and there was just this blue cloud over top. Like, it was just... But nobody thought anything of it, you know. And I remember uh, my, I think it was my grandmother was in hospital at Lloyd Hospital. And people were, there was ashtrays in the hospital. People were allowed to smoke in the hospital. You couldn't smoke if you went to visit the person in the room. But in the lobby, you could smoke. 
it was just a uh, way you know, of pe- life. People didn't realize what they were doing to themselves, right? And uh, it was only probably in the 90s, I think, when when uh, there was a big push on to stop smoking and for all the health things. Like when I was a teenager, a lot of my friends smoked. It was a, a common thing. Everybody. Did you hide it from your parents or did your parents care? Oh, I hid it. Yeah? Yeah. But I mean, we used to smoke at school, out behind, you know, like, I mean, kids are kids, right? So you do funny things like that because you think you're cool or something. I I have no idea. Mother Newman, the rebellious. Yes. Well, I was uh, for a few years there. (laughs) What was it about dad? We were just friends. I don't know. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Wasn't Maybe his it. handlebar mustache or his long hair? or? <laughs> no, well, we we were just friends and, uh, um, yeah. Uh, he had dated other people. I had dated other people. And I don't know. It was just one of those things that we both had. Um, a lot in common, and we both um, had plans of maybe traveling in the future sometime and all that kind of stuff, and I guess that's what drew us together. I don't know. Um, what was five kids in a trailer like? Well, that's pretty much why we built the house was because it was too crowded. Right? I should I, mean, I should give the listeners like a, a like <laughs> how big was that trailer? How how many bedrooms? Well, it was uh, three bedrooms, and then we had bunk beds. And you know, you think you think of the trailer as being really small now, um, but our parents, like I mean, people in your um, age group really don't um, like our parents uh, your dad's parents and my parents when they grew up they grew up in families where their parents had homesteaded so they had virtually nothing um, small little house. Like my mom's family, Granny Stringer's family, uh, she was raised in a family of six kids. Well, do you think they had six bedrooms and everybody had? No, no. You know, like um, people, people um, make do with what they have. And, and um, as as our Western Canadian um, ideals have expanded and uh, we've been able to build bigger houses and and everything, um, then it's hard to remember those days or the kids that were born in the houses with all the extras don't remember. Like you wouldn't even remember the trailer, I'm sure, would you? My first memory is looking at the new house being built. I remember oh. being on the hill. So Yeah, because you were two, I think. And uh, 
But I mean, the trailer was fine. It's just that, um, I mean, we just didn't have room. Let's face it. <laughs> Seven people around a kitchen table. Yeah, doesn't work so well when you're in a 12 by 60 trailer. Those had to have been happy days, though. You know, like we had uh, uh, Harley's kids over. Um, geez, what was that? I, I, I can't remember. Co the COVID year here has just kind of muddled my brain. But we had the five, you know, our three and then their two. So five under five at the time. And the supper table was absolute mayhem, but in a good way. Like it was fun. It was just like... Hold on for your dear life here because there's kids going everywhere and food and, but it was fun. There was like, you know, I assume back then when you had five of us around the kitchen table, that must have been some entertaining moments. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you blacked, you blacked it out? Well, you know, um, yeah, like... Even, you know, everything with kids, you think it's it's busy now, which it is, but uh, a person doesn't appreciate how much we have now just with uh, things like disposable diapers, uh, uh, washers and dryers, dishwashers, um, you know, that makes life a lot simpler and then you have more time to do other things obviously right but uh you know it was it was a, a busy busy time for sure because you had laundry for seven people five kids uh kids going to school and kids you know uh yeah you don't it, miss it was, the you don't miss the laundry of those days. No, I don't miss laundry. Did you did you get to have diapers for me or any of the or what are you dis, disposable? Uh, yeah, disposable. Yeah, uh, you and Harley had disposable. Was that a good day? Very good day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it just uh, cloth diapers, you know, uh, save you a lot of money. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a bygone time and nobody relishes the thought of having cloth diapers anymore. I don't think maybe a few people because you can still buy them, I guess. Well, uh, Curtis Clark comes to mind. They use cloth diapers quite a bit. Oh, uh, oh yeah. And I'm sure there's more out there cause it is, I mean, you save a ton of money if you use cloth, you just, you know. Yeah, well, I guess after having three kids in cloth diapers, I had had enough, and as soon as the disposables I don't think, were out there, I was buying them. I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to blame you for that one bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, it's partly probably living in in a 12 by 60 trailer with, you know, Jason was three when Dustin was born, so... You know, a lot of times there was two kids in diapers at the same time. And then, you know, it's a lot of diapers, a lot of washing. You know, I, I, I go back to when you came on the road trip, when we went out uh, 
Actually, I'm, I'm going to ask this question first. Is When I first started doing this, did you think, what on earth are you doing? The podcast in particular. Um, no, I didn't really because um, I knew that uh, uh, when when you'd got interviewed down at Dryden when you were playing hockey uh, and uh, the announcer used to come on the road trips and stuff and all the guys used to get um, interviewed and I I knew that uh, you found that interesting so it didn't it didn't really surprise me Um, although obviously I mean it was something um, different than you know, than anybody else in our family had been doing. Were you wondering when your call was going to come as I close in on 200? (laughs) No. (laughs) If you would have called me a year ago, I probably said, nah, (laughs) go find somebody else. (laughs) Well, you came on the road trip out to see, uh, you know, we went and interviewed Judy Reeves and Jordan Tutu and Wade and Corey Cross and Jim and Jim Pattison and Daryl Sutter, right? It was a it was a whirlwind tour, um, and of course Bob and da- uh, and uh, Danny. And it was an interesting time for me because I don't know the last well, we got to be in a vehicle together for a long time, which at times I'm sure all of us were like, oh, we could use a break, but it was interesting because you know um, as life speeds up and as I get older and start to you know want to ask some of these questions um you don't have time to sit and actually ask them and then when you're younger you could care less you just want to get on with whatever you're doing but you um you talked about your love of traveling uh, on that road trip and i thought that was fascinating um because you know you and dad travel a ton up until uh this past year it seems like you guys are going on a trip or two uh all the time and um i thought maybe you could walk us through you know, as a kid, did you guys travel, and and why now you guys? Well, once again, up until this year, travel, um, try to travel a lot. Uh, no, we didn't. We didn't travel. Um, partly because um, in in my family, when I was a kid, um, we had animals. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a bad excuse, but. Um, they had to be fed all the time, uh, pigs, chickens, stuff like that. And, uh, and just the animals in general had to be looked after and, uh, farm life for my parents kept them busy. My dad milked cows every day and, uh, they separated the cream from the milk and uh, sold that for a number of years and, uh, so a lot of our holidays when I was a kid was uh, going to the lake. Uh, we used to go to the lake on a Sunday afternoon or uh, if it was hot during the week, we used to go to the local swimming hole. <laughs> and uh, Where was the local the, swim, swimming hole? Uh, it was um, called Little Island Lake in Tangle Flags. And everybody met there. It'd be cooking hot out. Uh, of course, in those days, we were still using the Fahrenheit temperature. And so it'd be like 
80, 90 above in the evening. It was hot. Nobody had air conditioning. And uh, so that's what you did in the evening. The parents worked all day long, and, and uh, then uh, us kids used to go swim, and they used to sit and visit with all the neighbors, uh, generally speaking. Maybe there was a few of them that came in the water. And, uh, and so we didn't really holiday. Our holiday was going to the Lloydminster Fair and... Uh, Loon Lake and uh, um, going to the Lee Park Rodeo and uh, we didn't really travel at all, no. And so, I mean, in school, obviously, you learn about all the different countries and stuff like that and uh, um, and it was just um, something that I found interesting that, you know, and then uh, my dad's only sister, my aunt, lived in New Brunswick. She had uh, she had worked during the World War II in Regina, and then uh, went to Ottawa and worked down there, and was at Kingston, and uh, and at the end of the war, she decided she was going to go through for a nurse, and had applied at a hospital in Montreal and met her husband and moved to New Brunswick and uh, so we went and visited them when I was about 14 15 and that was my first experience with flying and traveling and um, I'm sure the flight landed in every airport between Saskatoon and Fredericton we flew to Winnipeg and then we flew to Toronto and then we flew to Montreal and then we flew to Fredericton. So there was lots of, um, yeah. So I found that fascinating and we enjoyed ourselves, met lots of people in New Brunswick and uh, so I was hooked on the traveling. Well, I mean, you've done, you've, you know, I mean, if you go back to when you're a kid and just, you know, basically traveling the vicinity of, um, home on tangle flags kind of thing uh now i mean the amount you've traveled you've been all over the world what's, yeah we've been been quite a few places yeah. what's what's one of your favorite uh things you've seen in your travels up to this point oh well, i guess uh every every place we go to you know is um there's something unique and different and uh i think we've enjoyed everywhere that we've gone like uh, we did a cruise through the Panama Canal and went to Colombia, Panama, Guatemala. Uh, that was very interesting. And, uh, but I mean, the Caribbean islands, um, we, the last time, uh, we went to Israel in 2018 and on our way back, we went to Greece and Holland and, uh, England and, uh, I mean, uh, that's history in itself, right? And very interesting. So, I mean, Israel is probably one of the most interesting places that we've been, but anywhere you go on the face of the earth, really, each is individual and different and has its own uniqueness and... Um, traveling in Canada 
you know, Banff or Jasper, Lake Louise, or it's all good. You know, as it is closing in on Mother's Day, what do you like to get for Mother's Day? You know, you go all the way from the, you know, your grandkids, my kids that are super young that'll scribble whatever, uh, to, you know, as you get older, having all the teenagers through early adult, you know, early adults, I guess, into married couples, into grandkids. Uh, what What is it for Mother's Day that you that you like, uh, would you like to have? Like, would you like flowers? Or you just like having family out? Or do you want to go do something? You know, I, I don't know if I've ever, we've always assumed that we, oh, let's just get mom X. Sure. And I assume that this is uh, the best gist, gift I've ever given you. But maybe it's the best <laughs> gift I've ever. <laughs> She's laughing, folks. That probably means it's a no. What, what have you wanted for Mother's Day? Well, I think as your family gets older and um, um, I think really that's the best gift is is uh, seeing everyone, right? Like uh, flowers are wonderful and they are beautiful and a week later you throw them out, you know what I mean? And uh, uh, But I mean... I guess with the busyness of the world and, um, um, you know, we just don't see each other all that much. And at this period of time, with all the lockdowns and, and things like that, it makes it even worse. Like there's so many people that haven't even seen their kids or didn't get together for Christmas or, you know, and just found that very difficult, you know. And I think, you know, um, the social relationships, the family relationships are always number one on the agenda, really. It doesn't matter really what you get. It's the, it's uh, getting together with family and friends and things like that. What have you thought of the last year? You know, you're... Uh... Well, you're 30 years older than me. You've seen a few things over your time. Nothing, I assume, quite like this. What have you thought of uh, the pandemic, the lockdowns, the, you know, stay at home and shudder? Well, I guess when we live um, in the country and we're not... Um, it's probably been far easier for you know, in some respects than, than people that live in the city um, for the fact that we can go out the door and not have to worry about wearing a mask or, um, you know, like, I don't know. It, at times it seems, the whole thing seems rather bizarre and far-fetched and to the fact uh you know, there's a lot of things that I guess I haven't agreed with. I mean, although, I mean, you look at uh, some of the places in the world, like New York City, uh, back a year ago when they were having thousands of people in hospital or, you know, but some of these lockdowns, um, I think, are 
way over the top, like fresh air and exercise are the best things that anybody can have for their physical being, their mental well-being. And when you take that away, um, you know, you do your society more harm than good. And uh, I mean, if we can go to the essential stores like Safeway or Walmart or whatever, wear masks, do the social distancing, then why are you shutting any stores down or any any establishments? I mean, if um, like our church has uh, in recent times, we've been able to have a maximum of 30 people. Well, why 30 people? I mean, the building holds close to a thousand. Um, there's just things like that that make absolutely no sense and anyway I mean person can get off on a tangent about that you know but um, I guess hopefully uh, things straighten out in the world it's just it seems like people have lost their common sense in the middle of the whole thing okay so if people are getting sick that doesn't mean to say you shut every single business down. It means that people maybe wear masks and, and social distance. I mean, there's been far few cases of ordinary flu um, in the last year. Why is that? Because people are staying at home because they're wearing masks and because they're social distancing. But why, why shut down businesses? I mean, and then you've got the essential services. So you've got truckers and I can speak to this because you know um, we were a family that was involved in the trucking industry and still is and um, the truckers are going back and forth across the American border but bringing essential produce I mean they're very much needed uh, to do that but um, why are one sector of the population allowed to go across the U.S. border and yet the U.S. border is closed to every other single person? Like, I mean, just the whole thing is, I find, um, people are, are politicians working under fear or pressure or, I don't know, like, it's a bizarre thing. Well, you, you, you're, I don't know if you're in the, I would say majority of people think this has been the most bizarre um, year and probably, I don't know, I don't know, maybe the war years, maybe, I don't know. Like this has been unprecedented, I think has been used an awful lot, right? Like, I mean, you look around right now, uh, we're in this like unique little bubble of Saskatchewan. And as we sit here, we're in Alberta, even though, you know, yeah, we're a stone throw from the border, but Saskatchewan's this unique little spot out of all of Canada that has not shut everything down. You can still go to a restaurant. You can still go into, I believe, every business is still open, minus you know capacity. Like obviously, it's reduced. But uh, you know, I, I've I've sat in here an awful lot, mom, and 
One of the things that I found troubling was an older lady in one of the archive interviews that hasn't aired yet said that singing right now is is not allowed because it can spread COVID. (laughs) Well, that's why they shut the churches down. Oh, man. And so when we go to church, we're supposed to wear a mask and a mask while we sing. Well, I like singing enough. I don't really care. I'm going to sing whether I've got a mask on or not. But, I mean, it's difficult to breathe when you're singing. But that's one of their uh, things, why they shut churches down, was because uh, you're spreading the germs because you're singing. <laughs> well, I think I, uh, one of the things I, uh, I don't know, hypothesize maybe, is uh, like when you take away activity, so physical, you know, you already talked to that. Like that's one way of giving people that uh, that good feeling, that dopamine hit, that that like, you know, like that physical exertion. It's good for the body. Um, but religion is, I mean, that's people's belief system, right? Like, um, and to take that away, I don't know. I just go like, to me, that just seems really, really dangerous. But I don't know, like we're, we're a year into it. I hope we're, you know, we're, you know, all the vaccines have come out and everybody's getting vaccinated and Saskatchewan's given us the roadmap to uh, getting back to whatever it is we're getting back to because nobody will say that we're getting back to where life was a year ago. They just won't say that. And they certainly will not say that we can stop doing everything we're doing right now, even if 70% of the population is vaccinated. Hell, at this point, if we get 100% of the... Uh, <laughs> I mean, heck, if we get 100% of the population vaccinated at this point, they still probably won't say that we can go back to the way of, of life, which is, I don't know, I find really concerning. Um, you know, back in in your early years, take yourself back to 35. So 30 years ago, uh, that would have been, oh, would that have been 96, 1996, moving in close to you, maybe the year 2000, somewhere in there. What were your big, can you kind of, hop back to your 30s and try and remember what some of your big, big concerns were? That was probably the, during the time when when uh, when you guys were at home and starting to drive. <laughs> but it wasn't a world, you weren't worried about the world, you weren't worried about Y2K and that coming down, like what people were talking oh, yeah. about? yeah, like, I mean... There's always been things, right? I remember um, Harley was playing hockey up at Fort St. John uh, in between Christmas and New Year in 1999, and there was the big scare on for the millennium, whatever, Y2K or whatever was going to happen, and all the computers were going to crash, and the world was going to crash, and I don't know, basically... (laughs) the end of the world was coming you know and uh we were at this hockey tournament no not a hockey tournament he was playing two or three games against Fort St. John and uh, the lights went out in the rink and (laughs) and it was because they were testing the power to do with all this Y2K stuff that was happening in the year 2000 on December 31st, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's been different things, but, I mean, uh, nothing quite like this. Although, saying that, you know, 
if you think back to the grandparents' days or whatever in World War II, I mean, I just can't even imagine did you having ever, lived through that. Did you ever talk to them about it? Like, did you talk to well, your parents about growing they up? they never used to really talk that much about it, you know. Like, I think it was uh, a very difficult time, and everybody had everybody had family that uh, served in the war. And a lot of families had um, had people that never came home and people that did come home that were never the same people as when they left um, the war and what they had seen and experienced had changed them, you know. And um, I, I just can't imagine living during that time, honestly. Uh, and so really the time we're living in now with social media, everybody, you know, there's complaints about social media, but it connects the world so much, you know. And uh, maybe if there would have been social media back in 1939, maybe World War II would never have happened, you know, because um, there just wasn't the connection between people. And uh, so... Um, you know, you had the Nazis just walking into countries and taking them over and rounding up Jews and sending them to concentration camps and things like that. And it, I mean, I just honestly, I can't even imagine living during that time. So really, you know, for what the, the things that we're experiencing in the last year as far as the pandemic and uh, the lockdowns and things like that, um, uh, really, I mean, it's nothing compared to, to what they experienced, I don't think. Do you ever think on Christmas Day you'd plow your backyard so your vehicles would be away from the <laughs> public view out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Yeah, well, to me, Christmas was Christmas, and... Uh, uh, it was important for me to, um, I think the mental health aspect of it, you, you just uh, want people to know that you're there for them and that um, community, you know, and even though obviously during the pandemic we weren't going to get together for everybody's birthday or you know, a lot of things like that. Uh, Christmas was important for me, and um, I thought, well, so be it. Um, that's well, I think, the way it's going to be. I think I, I can't speak for the population of Canada, but I can certainly speak for this area. And this area was all, I hate to say it, Mom, was pretty much middle finger to the government. Like, you can you can do what you want around pretty much any day of the week, but come Christmas time, we're going to see our family. That That was the resounding thing that I heard from anyone I talked to. There there was a lot of people, though, that did um, uh, keep um, the laws strictly. And, I mean, I'm not saying that it's not a good thing to do, uh, but I, I guess it's maybe because we had five kids and, um, you know, 
I just felt it was important for us all to get together because you, you just didn't really know what was going to happen in a month's time or two months' time. And even, you know, like uh, talking to a lot of people, you know, a year ago, everyone thought, oh, well, this will last a month or something, and then and then we'll be out of it and everything's going to be fine. And meanwhile, over a year later, we're still doing, you know, like the lockdowns now in Alberta are just as bad as they were a year ago, they're worse. right? Or they're worse. worse. They're worse. Yeah. And then you look at Ontario and they're worse. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know how to make heads or tails of any of it. I'm no health professional whatsoever. Yeah. Well, and I think in the more populated areas, like uh, the thing with Saskatchewan, which is a benefit in the last year, I think, is because we don't have a high population. And uh, it's mostly like the majority of the population in Saskatchewan is farming, um, agriculture. Um, and so people are distanced anyway. Um, and our cities, even though like we, Regina and Saskatoon aren't huge cities, they're nothing compared with Edmonton and Calgary. So we don't have the population. And for years, that was a detriment, right? Because you couldn't have a NHL hockey team in Saskatoon or, you know, uh, and everybody felt fortunate, you know, like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are kind of Saskatchewan's team. <laughs> big team, yep. right? Yep. Uh, but in this situation, the, the lack of population in Saskatchewan has actually been a benefit, I think, because um, we don't get... The, the transmission, like every yeah, uh, everywhere yeah, else, I would think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, the population density, let alone the population in general, just yeah. we have a giant area with a small population. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, I think that's for our benefit in the last year. So. I want to rewind the uh, re rewind the clock. I was talking with um, a couple of guys earlier today about uh, vermilion hockey, um, college hockey. You are one of the only people, well, that's not true. There's probably lots of people that watch Dad play hockey. But in saying that, you would have watched Dad play hockey. Was uh, Dad a fantastic hockey player? Um, well, he had excelled at hockey, I think, during his minor hockey days. Um, and, like... Uh, I, n I never, I never watched minor hockey whatsoever. I don't think I ever really even saw a game of minor hockey until you guys started playing, until Jason started playing. What? No, because, uh, Dave and Russell were eight, nine years older than me. So, and they were playing, they weren't playing on an indoor rink. They were playing, um, out in the outdoor rinks, right? Um, and so I was just young enough that I never know. I, I really don't think if it hadn't been for Grandpa Newman, uh, was a diehard hockey man. And um, If it wasn't for him, what, we wouldn't have played hockey? I don't think so, no. Well, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, did he push you and Dad into putting Jay in hockey, you mean? Uh, I don't think there would have been any peace in the family if, if Jason hadn't played hockey. Well, as it was, Jason never started playing hockey until he was six, huh? Which is... Um, old. 
Old. Older. Really? Older. Yeah. And... Um, Do you remember what Grandpa used to say about that? No, but I mean, he had played hockey when he was younger and he had refed a lot. Um, probably, I'm going to say maybe in his 40s, maybe even 50s, he used to ref like the All-Star Games and the... Um, so uh they speaking of granny and grandpa newman were instrumental i would say in building the old silver dome at hillmond uh they spent countless hours there working and uh granny newman spent countless hours baking and cooking to fundraise for meals no for the workers because it was all volunteer right and so they, uh, like people all over the community, donated uh, for that rink. And then they spent just countless hours uh, building. And um, and so they were very instrumental in, in building that rink. And, uh, and they were very much involved with the arena after it had been built. And so, um, yeah. It'd be hard not to be after you put that much blood, sweat, and tears into a yeah. thing. Yeah. And uh, Grandpa Newman coached all the time. Um, coached your dad. Actually, I think he, he, uh, I think he coached Gord Redden at one time. Really? Yeah, I think so. You know, you know, I bumped into Bart earlier today, and he <laughs> said, "You see," and uh, I said, "What?" And he said, "You see." And I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. And he goes, that's what Grandpa used to call uh, Don, was Yusi. Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Well, I guess that's both of us because I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Bart. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, funny thing, I saw Bart probably in the last week too, so. But, yeah, that was all all families, uh, you know, like that older generation, your grandparents, I mean, that was uh, the social, one of the social gatherings, right? And so there was a lot of those older families and, and uh, you know, like um, dad used to go and help uh, work on the old Silver Dome as well, but uh, we lived a little bit farther away from the rink, right? So it was a lot of the families that lived right around Hillmont there spent a lot of time there. A lot of volunteer hours. Nobody got paid. I would have loved to have heard Grandpa giving you guys a rough time about trying to get Jay into hockey. Oh, I know. I don't know. He never said anything to me or anything like that. It was just, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. That was just the way it was. I'm falling off the bandwagon. No, you keep you keep slowly leaning over. She keeps leaning over away from the mic. I'm like, you got to talk to the mic. You're talking away from the mic. What have you enjoyed more? I've heard different fa- uh, different people come through here and say that grandkids were better than your own kids. Is that true? I wouldn't say they're better. It's uh, the reason that grandkids are better than your own kids is because because you get to enjoy them. Um, you get to spoil <laughs> them. 
<laughs> and then you get to send them home to their parents, right? First, first word out. You get to enjoy them. What, what, what does that mean? We were just paying <laughs> well, the butts? No, but it's just like, uh, yeah. I mean, your own children, you have to teach them everything. You have to um, discipline them. Uh, you have to keep track of them. You have to just put in 24 hours a day, 365 with your own kids, unless they go to the grandparents, right? Or to the babysitter or whatever. But whereas grandchildren, you get to have them for a day or two or three or whatever. You get to enjoy them. You've got a little bit more cash on hand so you can go out and spoil them. And then, lo and behold, the parents come back, so you get to send them home again. I'm glad you brought up discipline. You know, one <laughs> of the stories us kids always uh, um, joke around about is the wooden spoon because I never saw the wooden spoon. Uh, the story I'm always told is you broke. Maybe you should have. <laughs> you never know. I'm surprised you haven't bust down the door one of these times after I've said maybe one of the curse words that you are not so fond of and, and tried to uh, bring in the wood spoon. I bet you the, the listeners would thoroughly enjoy to see a video of mom chasing me with a wood spoon. But um, what was discipline like uh, for you growing up? Um, honestly, I guess it was being the youngest of four kids and uh, my brother's or eight and nine years older than me, my sister five years older than me. So by the time I came along, um, you towed the line because you had two parents and three older siblings, uh, but there really wasn't a lot of discipline. I don't know if that's the right way to say it or not because there was just so many older people in your life that, that you had to toe the line, you know. Um, whereas when you guys were growing up, you were all close together in age, so you could get into all kinds of catastrophes. <laughs> when you were really annoyed with us, what did you do? Just kick us outside? Oh, I did. We, did you ever? Did you ever? That's go, why I said fresh air. Did you just, ever get annoyed after we broke the chandelier for the eighteenth time? I don't even remember that. I think I blocked it out of my memory. Because you know, I I always laugh about this. We got to play mini sticks in your brand new house with giant wood sticks, not mini sticks, like cut off three. Well, not three feet, but two and a half feet tall wood sticks, and we went at it. And your walls were banged up. Your piano was banged up. We broke so many light bulbs, it wasn't even funny. And we all knew the game ended when mom lost her mind. <laughs> or somebody was crying. Well, that too. Yes. No, I don't know. I mean, uh, there was always lots of worse things, I guess, you could be doing, right? And, uh, um, yeah, I suppose I had to raise my voice a few times. That's putting it lightly. Well, I'm not going to hold you here late on, on a Friday night. I do appreciate you coming in. This has been, uh, I don't know, this is this is what I hope to do over the next, well, I don't know, 30 Mother's Days. How's that? Well, there you go. So we got, we got hopefully plenty of time. 
But uh, I'm going to do a Crude Master Final Five with you. I, I would like to give you five little questions here at the end. Okay. Um, the, first, the first is, if you could do this to somebody, sit down and pick their brain. And I know for me it's, I enjoy it because your mom, right? Like, I, I, I could do this probably for five hours. But if you could go back and order even now and pick anyone you wanted to pick their brain, who would you take? Um, I think it'd be interesting to interview, well, a, a few different people, obviously, but uh, I would like to meet my great-grandfather that lived in England um, and pick his brain. What do you think you'd ask him? Well, I don't know. He, he was a lawyer, um, lived in the south of England, uh, it'd just be a whole different world. World. You've probably read the Bible 60 times over. That might be light. I'm not sure. But what, what's your favorite passage? Or is that a, a big question? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. That's the one? That's the one. Yeah. God um, reaches out to every single person on this earth, whether you're Chinese, East Indian, Pakistani, um, First Nation, or Colombian, whatever... And there's people from all over the world. Um, when we've been to Israel, there's people all over the world that uh, you'll meet in, on the streets of Israel, on the streets of Jerusalem. People from Argentina and Brazil and China and Taiwan and Holland, um, England, Switzerland, just... There's people all over the world that will radiate to Israel. And, uh, yeah, God is there for every single person. Over the course of your life, what is maybe one of the events that sticks out to you as being, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but let's say you wipe the pandemic away. What's one of the events that you... Maybe just know exactly where you were when it happened. Good um, or bad. Well, there's a couple of those too. The one that sticks out. Uh, well, a couple stick out in my memory, actually. Uh, when JFK got assassinated, I was sitting in school. I think it was like in grade two. And somebody that's in grade two has really no idea who JFK is or what the whole scope is, but it was just like shock went through the school and we're in the middle of Saskatchewan, Canada, you know? Um, the other one that sticks out in my memory is 9-11, uh, when the planes flew into the World Trade Center. Um, I was going to a Bible study that morning and I got there, and that's what I found out had happened. And uh, 
uh, that was like unbelievable, right? Like you just, shocking. Can't believe it. Did you and dad ever consider or want to move anywhere else? Did you ever think of living in, dad always says the south of France, but have you ever thought of picking up and moving anywhere? And if you, or maybe if you could move somebody, where, where would you go? Um, well, he had a lot of family that um, obviously and still does have family that live um, in the Vancouver, Victoria area. Um, he had an uncle that uh, lived in Victoria, an aunt that lived in Victoria. And, and so we've talked about that, but um, it... it it might be interesting to, like, we, we enjoy taking holidays, but as far as living somewhere else, I think we're too family-oriented to actually just pick up and move somewhere else because we like to see the grandkids and we like to um, see our family, keep track of them. <laughs> and uh, so to actually pick up and and move somewhere else I don't think it will ever happen maybe I'm wrong you know when our grandkids are 25 we're 99 <laughs> maybe we will I don't know finally a hockey question for you because I mean uh, you grew up watching a lot of hockey um, who, who is who is the best uh yeah, let's go best player you ever watched live. Is it, Would that be the Oilers? Sean Newman. That is a lie. <laughs> I'll take it, but I know that's a lie. You're, now you're just pumping my tires. It's all in the heart of the beholder, right? <laughs> the best hockey player that I've ever watched. Well, you know, like back when I was a kid, it was Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, every Saturday because we only had like one channel on the TV and I had a dad and two brothers who watched hockey night in Canada. So there was nothing, you couldn't avoid it. And so back in those days, um, there was six teams in the NHL and Toronto um, was probably the team Canadian team to cheer for in my family but I mean Gordie Howe, Bobby Hall were both Canadians playing with American teams but um, uh, yeah so I mean I always cheered for Toronto but but uh, Gordie Howe and Bobby Hall were always right in there and then when Bobby Orr came along he was really good uh, amazing player, um, but he didn't last very long, you know. And uh, and then I guess you get to the Edmonton Oilers and Wayne Gretzky and Yari Curry. And did you Mark ever go? Wa- did you ever go watch the dynasty years in Edmonton? Did you go to the Coliseum? We took you with us, my son. You took all five kids. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was. Um, it was one of the things actually in those times where you could um, do that with a family because believe it or not, uh, when Wayne Gretzky was playing with the Oilers, 
um, back when they first started winning the Stanley Cups, I think a ticket uh, in the mid blues in the old um, Coliseum was $18.99. So for just over $100, uh, we could take all five of you guys and go to an Oilers game and um, for, you know, $20 each plus whatever you ate and drank. So, I mean, it wasn't a cheap thing to do, but, I mean, you couldn't do that today. I mean, your tickets would be... Well, one ticket's probably 140 bucks. Well, or even if you get a cheaper ticket, you're probably looking at 60 or $70 for one ticket. You I don't know. even know. Can you get a $60 ticket? I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. but It's expensive, regardless. Uh, but back in those days, and they were winning the Stanley Cup. I mean, you had some of the best players um, through the ages, really, in the NHL, all playing on that team. Grant Fuhrer was the goalie. An outstanding goalie, and uh, and you know all those guys playing, and you were paying eighteen dollars and ninety nine cents for a ticket. So we took all five of you and went. I don't know. Does that mean we're hockey crazy, or I don't know? But anyway, that's what we did. I suppose you see, Jason would have been playing by then, so would have Dustin, Harley, and you probably weren't. Well, you weren't because you were little. And, uh, but I mean, there, I don't even think there was any alcohol served in the stands in those days. So you didn't have to worry about beer getting spilled on you or um, drinking. It was like more of a family event, or I always thought it was like maybe it was my imagination, but yeah, we, we did that. We went, uh, I remember one game we were at, and they were playing Detroit, I think, and they won, like, the division. Uh, Detroit was in the, yeah. And um, that's when we had all you guys with us. So, I mean, we didn't do that a lot, right? Because, I mean, it was still, I mean, you had to want to be there with five kids, right? Because you had to look after them everybody and make sure you got in and out of the break. I can just imagine. But yeah, we did that. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Happy Mother's Day. This Thank is, you. Uh, I don't know, this is, I, I look forward to Mother's and Father's Days because if I, if I listen to the people enough, do this when you can because, you know, as, as we get older and my kids get older and they want to listen to what you know if we could go back and listen to your parents and dad's parents i think we'd all gladly take it especially at your age where you can tell us things and what your thoughts are and everything else so i really appreciate you coming in and indulging me in this well thank you very much and i didn't uh, drop too many curse words for you well that's that's a good thing because you know the shirt collar i can always <laughs> take you to church <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Yeah, okay.